Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Today we're going to be talking about some of the historical background related to the book of Jonah. What I'd like to do is go through the historical background related to Israel specifically, and then talk about the ancient Near East as a whole and what was going on there uh, during this time period in history, and then focus in on Assyria as an empire, because they were really the leading nation of the world during this time. So as it relates to Israel, uh, specifically during, you know, we're in the time period of around 780 to 750 BC, and I would say probably somewhere more towards 760 to 750 BC. What's going on in Israel at this time? In biblical history, this is, we've already talked a little bit about the, the period of the divided kingdom. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel in the northern part of the country operating independently of the southern kingdom that's operating around the area of Judah in the south. The northern kingdom retains the name Israel. The southern kingdom goes by the name of Judah. This is a result of a division within the united monarchy that goes back to the time of Saul, David, and Solomon. After Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam uh, did some wicked things and made life very difficult for the people of his nation, so much so uh, that the nation split as a result of that. It was also a result of some of Solomon's sin uh, as well. So within Israel itself, we have two different kingdoms during the book of Jonah, a northern kingdom, and that's really where Jonah is coming from, the area of the northern kingdom. We saw last time uh, in 2 Kings, he's from Gath-Hefer, a city in the north to the west of the Sea of Galilee in the territory of Zebulun. As far as the ancient Near East itself... A lot is going on in the ancient Near East during this time, but in many ways it, they have already passed their prime. Uh, their former glory is something that they look back to, but it's, it's dwindling in many ways. Let's start with the territory of Egypt. What's going on in Egypt during this period? When we, when we think of Egypt, typically we think of pyramids, of pharaohs, of wealth, gold, and riches. During this period in Egyptian history, it's typically termed the Third Intermediate Period. It is a period of great wealth in the land of Egypt, but not necessarily of great power and of great influence uh, within the entire ancient world. Egypt, in many ways, is past its primes. The, the major pyramids are built up during the Old and Middle Kingdoms, we have already passed all of the kingdom periods in Egyptian history by the time we get to the Third Intermediate Period. There are still pharaohs in the land, and they still campaign into the land of Israel and other locations, but they don't have as much power and strength 
as they once had. And so Egypt in many ways is already past its prime period of, of history. Anatolia is the region of modern-day Turkey, north of the land of Israel. And in the second millennium BC, and even somewhat into the first millennium, they're very important and very significant. This is where the Hittite Empire was located. We have an old Hittite Empire and a new Hittite Kingdom. And those take place during the second millennium BC. As we get into the first millennium, what's going on in Anatolia is not nearly as significant. You have individual cities that are vying for power. Some of them become uh, important, but there is no centralized power in the region of Anatolia. And so both Egypt and Anatolia do not factor into uh, our conversation of the ancient world as much as they once would have. The same is true of Greece at this point in history. They uh, have not yet reached the, the glory of the city-states of Athens and, and Sparta and some of those other locations that they will uh, another 100, 200 years after the time of Jonah. Uh, they are rebuilding from the Minoan and Mycenaean cultures of the second millennium BC. So they, they won't factor into our conversation much either. Mesopotamia is really what we're going to focus on in our discussion of the historical background, and particularly the kingdom of Assyria. Assyria is located in the northern part of the Fertile Crescent. So within Mesopotamia, you've got a northern region and a southern region. Historically, those have been known as uh, Sumer in the south, Akkad in the north. And by the time we get to the first millennia, Babylonia is a region in the south, and Assyria is a region in the north, centering around several significant cities. So what I'd like to do is take a look at the, the background of Assyria, and particularly the Neo-Assyrian uh, kingdom, give you an overview of what the kingdom was like, and then talk about some of the specifics, what they were like militarily, uh, what some of the kings of Assyria would have been like during this time, and then specifically the city of Nineveh. What was the city of Nineveh like? when the prophet Jonah would have gone there. So when we talk about the Neo-Assyrian kingdom, there are really three ancient periods of Assyrian kingdoms, an old kingdom, a middle kingdom, and a new kingdom. The old and middle kingdoms occur during the second millennium. The Neo-Assyrian kingdom occurs between the, the dates of 950 and 600 BC, roughly. Now, within this Neo-Assyrian kingdom, there are two distinct phases, a beginning phase and then a short period of weakening and then a final phase or a resurgence of Assyrian power. The first phase goes from about 950 to 825 and contains some infamous Assyrian kings like Ashurnasipal II and Shalmaneser III, which I'll talk a little bit about momentarily. From about 825, after the time of Shalmaneser III, for about 75 years, from 825 to 750, the kingdom of Assyria weakens. They have internal struggles. They've got some things that they're dealing with on the home front, and so they're not as 
militarily strong and fierce as they once were. However, in about 745 BC, a man by the name of Tiglath-Pileser III comes to power in Assyria, and there is a strong resurgence of Assyrian might. And after the time of Tiglath-Pileser uh, III, uh, Assyria becomes very powerful once again. They are once again the major player uh, on the world schematic. So during the time of Jonah, the prophet probably goes to Nineveh between 825 and 750, somewhere within this period of weakening, temporary weakening of the kingdom of Assyria. What were the Assyrians like? How did their nation function? And particularly, what were their relationships like with other nations, like the nation of Israel? Assyria was a very uh, war-loving society in many ways. Their kings were focused on conquest. This had to do with one of their major deities, the god Asher, uh, coming from the city of Asher. Asher was probably a uh, warlike deity, much like uh, Mars in uh, Roman mythology. And as a result, the kings were bound to go out and conquer for their god and do their best year by year to go out and subject uh, other nations and other peoples. This is displayed in some of the lives of these early kings and the way that they treated the individuals that they interacted with uh, results from this. So one of the famous kings is Ashurnasirpal II, and he's operating around perhaps 850 uh, BC. One of the things that he did in his campaigns was to use very brutal practices. Uh, he would actually uh, encourage his men to do some barbaric things in their interactions with the people that they were uh, conquering. Uh, he says in, in one of his campaign records of his conquest of a particular city, this is what he says, "...they're young men and they're old men I took prisoners. Of some of them I cut off their hands and their feet." Of others, I cut off the ears, noses, and lips. Of the young men's ears, I made a heap. Of the old man's heads, I made a minaret or a tower. I exposed their heads as trophy in front of their city. The male children and female children, I burned in flames. The city I destroyed and consumed with fire. Now we hear something like that and it sounds very barbaric to us. And it is, uh, and it was done uh, very specifically with the intent that it would create fear uh, within the other peoples who might have wanted to resist the Assyrian military power. Uh, I think this is an accurate depiction of what the Assyrians did in their campaigns. It's also something that was used as a uh, psychological propaganda tool. And very interestingly, we've seen this in recent years in our world as well in the Middle East by groups like ISIS and other terrorist organizations who publicly demonstrate um, brutal acts of 
terror or barbaric acts of uh, putting individuals to death and then make these things very public for others to see. It's intended to create fear. This is not something new in the world. It was something that was done by the Assyrians and others uh, several thousand years ago. So Ashurnasirpal uh, was very adamant about doing these things and making this known. What they would do is they would come to uh, a city that they were ready to conquer, and they would use some of these barbaric practices and leave a few individuals alive. And then the individuals would be told, okay, go out and go to the next cities and tell them what happened. Well, you know, kind of what happens with the game of telephone. Uh, if you see something horrific take place and you were one of these individuals going to the next town, you would tell the people of that city, there's no chance for you. You better just throw your hands up in the air when the Assyrians come to town. Otherwise, they're going to do to you what they did to us or much worse. And so there's this element of fear and propaganda that's, that's coming around. Well, Ashurnasirpal II is the first Assyrian king that we have on record as having uh, some kind of interaction with the northern kingdom of Israel. He knows the northern kingdom of Israel as the house of Omri. Omri was one of the kings of the northern kingdom that became uh, very popular and infamous in the ancient world. So the Assyrians will continuously refer to the northern kingdom as the house of Omri or the land of Omri because of that initial interaction there. By the time we come to the son of Ashurnasirpal II, Shalmaneser III, Shalmaneser is continuing to campaign further and further west and closer and closer to the land of Israel. So much so that a, a group of uh, Israelite and Canaanite kings band together to resist the advance of this Assyrian king. This was a coalition of 12 different kings, and Ahab, the king of Israel, was one of these kings. Now, Ahab in the Bible is presented as this incredibly wicked king, wicked ruler who caused his people to fall into idolatry. But uh, in the records of history, he is uh, joining this 12-king coalition and yielding one of the strongest forces to help resist the advance of the Assyrian ruler, Shalmaneser III. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.